so, so welcome back after the break thank you very much for uh letting me run off to the, the little boys room there <laughs> uh, before we left off we were talking about um uh, the way we need to trust professionals and experts in their fields of expertise and uh we also talked a bit about groups and mob mentality and groupthink and how that adversely affects um, sort of the discourse we have politically and socially on many different topics. And we also covered uh, a little bit about diversity of thought. Um, maybe we could go into a little further uh, into the subject of trust insofar as it relates to uh, trust in ourselves to form wise opinions and uh, also trust in our children that they will grow up to be competent adults in their own rights without being forced or told how to be competent adults. So from there, maybe I will let you take the wheel. Well, you, uh, <clears throat> I think I'll start with uh, uh, trust in our children uh, because a lot of times um, and you hit the nail on the head is that, you know, their kids are going to be growing up and you don't have children to have children. You have children to, uh, you know, just because you're going to, I want to have a child with in my house at all times. I need children around. No, you're having children for a much more, um, uh, for life fulfillment kind of thing. Yeah. It, it, it means a lot to have a child. And it's a one of those things in human experience that um, lets us uh, it challenges us in a in a way that's very fulfilling uh, and is inherently productive. Unlike something like uh, challenging, like a war, in which uh, it does challenge you uh, and it does force you to grow, but it's not essentially productive it is a uh yeah. a um war doesn't raise taxpayers <laughs> no uh no it doesn't but um hold on one second let me just try this am i still coming through you are okay good i'm gonna coming loud and clear there i can i can only need one of these so i can hear myself talk now sorry <clears throat> That's like a one-sided so, conversation or <laughs> yes, hearing yourself talking from one microphone in one ear. It's a it's one-sided just, conversation. You know, it doesn't, it can come out in one ear and out the other instead of just bouncing around in there. Yeah, no more echoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. This is my way of getting rid of the echo chamber. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Verbally so, and literally. Um, so one... Um, One of the now the thing about uh, this is that a lot of these trust issues come from a place of fear. Uh, you are fearing that something will happen. You're fearing that uh, someone will do what uh, some negative thing that your imagination has come up with. But um, it's also from a place of uh, not understanding. Now, growing up, one will inherently encounter. Uh, billions and billions and billions of inputs. And um, when we're growing up, we generally uh, don't, we, we think we have 
you know, our parents. So like these, these uh, people that have such an inherent uh, force upon our lives, they direct us like a, like a, our life, like a ship until we can take our own boat out to sea. But in reality, um, the water and the wind have more of an effect in itself. Uh, we meet hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people before we're five. Um, and they all say stuff. We see things that, that we're curious. Uh, we form opinions out of nowhere. Um, and generally, uh, it's hard to know what happens when someone encounters an idea. So you think, uh, and I'm getting at an idea of censorship here. So inherently, there's things that you are just not going to show to a child, obviously. But at the same time, uh, oh, no, they're not ready for this, or they're not ready for that. And so how do you know? Because you've decided that, oh, I don't know, I don't want to see that challenge happen. But what's really happening is you don't, um, you don't know where that other individual, the child, is going to take that uh, that stimulus and go with it. Now, this is one of the places where I say trust is necessary, is because we, our child is, children are going to uh, inherently encounter everything, uh, and it's not you're not going to be able to control it at all. Now, this doesn't just go for children either. So when someone encounters an idea, oh, no, no, that's a dangerous idea, or that's a bad idea, or this is a, that's an old idea, or that's a uh, debunked idea. Well, you can tell them that, but maybe the person or the child can come to that idea all on their own. And that's a... Uh, element or a site of trust that I think is severely lacking in uh, society is that we aren't trusting our children to make their own conclusions. So, you know, you, you see a, a child and he watches a, you know, a war movie, say, and like Saving Private Ryan and they're watching the first thing and it's just horrific and they don't, un it's like, that's, that's absolutely terrible. Like it, 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 it's, it has a bad reaction. But thing is, is that you can shelter them from that, but then they're never going to, that thought process will never start. So they, you expose them to that or they expose themselves to that or they expose them to any idea and they're going to think about it. What does that mean? What are they doing? What's happening? Why is it happening? And that is the stimulus that will get all those rocks rolling downhill. And we have to trust that people are going to come to uh, the end of a thought process in their own way. And it's almost like we need to show the kids some sort of horror so that they're aware that horror exists. Like, yeah. Well, That's yes and no, but at the same time, it's not just horror either. It's like simple things. Like yeah, it's um, a graphic example, though, is what I'm getting. At. Yeah, like I see a lot of parents nowadays who are treating their kids like, uh, you know, they're a little Buddha. You know, not letting them out of the palace so that when they get out, it's like, what is this? So that's an old man. And yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of that happening, and they get out of the palace and they're like, wow, life is terrible. It's like life's always been 
And on you know, the same token, they're coddling them as adults in universities and stuff like we talked about in making the grades too. So right. it sort of, so, sort of transgresses from one from one extreme to the next. Right. And then then we tell them that like we introduce our, our students to an idea and they say, this is the interpretation of it. This is the only interpretation of it. It's like, no, no, no. You introduce them an idea and then you let it stew. You let them work it around like a, uh, like a pebble in your hand and you understand it after a while. It's like, okay, I get this. I grok this. And I, I feel like, okay, here, here's the, here's the issue and here's the accepted uh, orthodox interpretation of that, that, or, um, and they don't, let people mull it over you need people to come to their own conclusions and to form their own perspectives uh because otherwise you get um you, you get a you know this monolithic structure of approved this and that and certain things oh don't even engage with that it's not worth it well there's a reason that they still sell mind Kampf. Mm-hmm. um like it's a poorly written book of bigoted nonsense but when we look at nonsense, we can understand what nonsense is. And some people, so you can read it and how do you know that if you give, you know, some guy who's, you know, enamored with the Nazi party, uh, there we got demonetized. <laughs> uh, and someone who's enamored with that is, um, won't read it and be like, yeah, I'm going to read this book from my hero. And they'll read it and be like, that was actually stupid. I'm stupid. This is stupid. Like, how do we know that won't happen? So we're, we're, we're fearing the worst and we're protecting people from things or protecting people from coming to their own conclusions and telling like, this is the, this is a safe conclusion. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And the irony Uh, is we create that rigidity of thought in our efforts to protect them from those bad negative ideas. Right. Right. Now, just now they know it, but they're not grokking it. So they now, uh, okay. I'm using that word, which is, uh, from an old book, uh, which is, so you can know things and then you grok it where you take it in and it becomes part of yourself. So you, you think about an idea and by engaging with an idea, it, and like inside and having it like figuring it out and moving it around and seeing it from every angle and testing it. And then eventually you, you kind of, it becomes, you get it, you understand it. And even if you think it's stupid, or even if you think it has changed your life for the better, there's this idea that you have imbibed into yourself in you're engaging on it in your own terms. And now you can use it. So you interact with Mein Kampf and now you understand why it's, terrible (laughs) and then you can come to the table with that understanding uh rather than don't read this book it's 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 not worth your time well it might not be worth your time you might you know there's there's billions of books to read and but if you're interested in that thing and you're studying world war ii you can't not read it um you can't just be like oh yes i just understand that that's what this is about Mm -hmm. and uh this goes for um Can I draw a parallel to that? Yeah. Because I I think a really important reason why terrorism today is viewed the way it is, is because nobody's actually trying to see why terrorists are doing the things they're doing. Right. They're just crazy maniacs that are, they're just terrorists. We should kill them. And that's, that's that. But it's like not reading Mein Kampf, not understanding why people would follow that is, uh, 
Yeah. Who is this is is like um <laughs> is is but um like who who are they? Like, yeah, they're awful people, terrible human beings in every respect. Um but you should understand what they're doing because the minutiae of their actions is important. Um, because you can't oppose it without understanding it. Um, if you're going to argue with somebody famously, you should, I use that word too much. Uh, you should, um, understand their, their opponent's position almost better than your own. Mm -hmm. And this, when we just tell people what the approved answers are, you are not going to do it, but it's even simpler than that because when we get down to a very young age, um, you know, well, teach kids not to play in traffic. Well, why? Because they could get hit by a car. Well, okay. Just, and so you tell them, don't go into traffic. And then they'll be like, okay, what the heck is traffic? So you bring them to the, you bring them to a busy highway and you're like, see those things? Yeah, those are dangerous. And then, you know, you let them watch it for a bit and they'll be like, okay, I get it. You know what? Um, you know, you throw a, uh, you throw a snowball on the road and you let you get them to bake a snowball and you get them to throw it on the road and watch as a, you know, they've held, held this thing in their hand that they've created and they throw it onto the road and they roll it onto the road and they, see it and they watch it. Yeah. They watch a car just drive over it and they'll be like, they get it. <laughs> you didn't really need to tell them that traffic is dangerous. They understand it now. And you're um, exposing them to that dangerous situation in a safe way right? Mm -hmm. You're showing you're on the sidewalk by being right in front of traffic, but you're not relinquishing control in the sense of pushing the kid in front of the car, but you no. have to expose them to it. Otherwise they'll just think it's a word. Like it's well, not, it's not a real kinetic energy. Yeah. Well, and then there's a difference between throwing them into traffic and letting them uh, witness traffic. Right. Uh, Cause like mm, we're a warrior family. Here, you're six now. Go to war. It's like, no. <laughs> now you'll understand it. It's like, no. But like, if, if there's like, okay, if our country goes to war and our kid's like, what are we doing as a country? I don't understand. It's like, okay, show, here's a war movie. This is kind of what we're doing. And then they'll be like, they'll mull it over and they'll have heard people talking about it and this and that. And then they'll ask questions. So are the, are the, are the people that were fighting bad? You can be like, well, they threaten us but in that way, but they're just people like us. Yeah. And it's like, they, then they go on they off and they think about that for a couple of days and they're like, but they might, and they might even play with that. They'll be like, you know, death to the other guys, death to the other guys. And you'll be like, are you sure death to the other guys? And they'll think about it and be like, mm, maybe not. Maybe it's a bit more complicated. And then they'll, form something but if you're like if you just say okay yeah go with that just just death to the other guys it's just you can leave it at that but they'll also be forming their opinion though because they're testing out ideas and as a parent you'd have to you know you know guide the ship a bit like mm, no mm, no but you kind of they're going to walk they're walking forward on your own but if they you know and at they, some point uh, you have to let them cross the street when you're not there, right? Like you got to be right. hands off and just trust that they know what they're doing. And that sort right. of brings us back to what you were getting, getting, which is extremely scary. 
Uh, because as a parent, you could imagine the worst things possible and without even trying, without even consciously thinking about them. And you don't even want to think about that. Yeah. It's but, biology. Yeah. So you're, you, you have this reaction to, to protect them, but like you also want to protect them from any negative perceived negative thing. Now, harm is one thing. So but at the same time, like you're going to fall off your bike. The child falls off their bike, pick it up, go again. But you want to teach your kid to get back up on that bike too. Um, or like team sports as a kid. Uh, yeah, there's constantly the threat of getting hurt while you're playing a game or something, but you want to show them how to, how to push themselves and how to fall properly, how to fall safely. Right. How to brace yourself for impact if you're taking a check in hockey or football. So that's, as an individual, you have to, again, ride a line. Um, how much freedom do I give versus how much uh, guidance do I give? <clears throat> and that would change from individual to individual. But at some point, you have to trust that your uh, that a child will come to their own conclusions and will come to their own um, uh, ways of doing things that might be different from yours. And yes, you can you can engage with them. You can have discussions with them. You can um, definitely uh, let them know the dangers, but they if you hold someone back, they're going to want to do it more. So let them explore. Um, and this comes down to, again, everyone in society, because you see this and you see people who haven't been, you know, I don't know, I, I fell a lot as a child. Uh, although usually that was from my own making. I'd be like, I'm gonna go up there. Well, well that's pretty far. To fall down. It's totally yeah. useful. <laughs> Um, but, and I was able to engage myself physically a lot as a child. Uh, and I would just go off on my bike for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And I learned the value of exploration. I learned the value of finding the hidden things in life. Uh, cause it's like, Oh, what's over there? Oh, neat. There's a this little nook and cranny. And, but I also learned that if I want to get there, I have to, you know, push myself. I have to, you know, pedal harder. I have to, uh, I almost, but I look back and I almost wish that I had gone further, but, <laughs> but that to me is a sign of good parenting when they stand, knowing when to stand back and let your kids just fall and get hurt and explore and discover. And, uh, I mean, not everybody's a perfect parent, but I think nobody's a perfect parent. <laughs> nobody's a perfect parent, but I think that's one of the things that, generationally speaking we've had uh i mean we've had good better parents than some in that respect in our freedom and ability to to just figure things out and move on our own but yeah our the generation immediately after us like the kids born from the 90s on they're i mean it's not just me it's notorious there's tons of sociology books out there right now talking about the helicopter parents like they've got terms for them because it's so prevalent modern society on yeah. you need kids to 
engage each other. Uh, uh, I remember I was in class, it was an 18th century history class and all my, no one in class was talking. I was the only one engaging with the material and I was looking around going like, are, are none of you gonna like come at me guys? Like I am here, I'm making a point. Like my point isn't law, it's not even probably right. That's, I'm putting it out there to be discussed. <laughs> And no one was engaging in, uh, the frust- in frustration. The classes would end, you know, halfway through or not even. How much of that do you think comes down to like kids not being um, encouraged to self-directed play so much as they used to? There's a lot of organized sport and like directed play where they tell the kids exactly how to have fun. Yeah. And then they I grow think- up not knowing how to do things for themselves in other, in other aspects, like in other areas. Yeah, I think a lot of people are looking for rules too. It's like, well, what's what are the parameters here? It's yeah. like, what's the right a, thing to do that, so that you I you have a ball? That's <laughs> the extent of your parameters. Uh, don't punch other people, I guess. But uh, or um, the because I like on the playground, we were given a play structure, which was great. We were given we somebody brought a ball if we couldn't get one from the school, and then we just go play soccer. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we'd invent a game where, you know, everyone, every school invented a game and we had this like wall and you'd have a ball and you have to hit the ball on the wall a certain way and it bounces a certain way we and you get points wall in ball. it. <laughs> wall, ball. Every, everyone played that. And it was always, I think the game wasn't so much the ball and the wall. It was more the, um, the, a negotiation of rules. Yeah. And I did this and then this happened and then, and then you have these super and complex enforcement of rules. Cause then you need everybody collectively to democratically say that was a foul. You can't do that anymore. And then change the rules and make amendments later on if somebody's exploiting them. Right. Uh, and then in the winter uh, things would freeze over. And I remember in grade like four five and six, uh, we grabbed a tennis ball and we played what we call kickball, which was pretty much just soccer mm. with uh, rugby tennis rules, <laughs> a tennis ball. And we have these two little nets and it was just like, oh, it was. We called it hockey with a tennis ball, but it was soccer, <laughs> but you could check. We didn't have sticks, <laughs> but it was just, it was so fun because we were just like, it was just this chaos uh, that we could I exert ourselves that anymore. Into. Like when was the last time you went outside and saw kids playing in the street? Yeah, without their we were parents. Told to be worried about traffic, but we still played in the street. Like we just looked for yeah. cars. <laughs> yeah, don't trust adults that are overly nice or something. Yeah, uh, call, you go out like, in groups and you call out car when somebody comes by and everybody knows what to do. Yeah, and everyone's just like, if like someone does approach you, just be like, "This is creepy. I'm out. Bye." Yeah, I'm small. I can. I'm quick. But uh, <laughs> the maybe um, it's just anecdotally me, but I don't see kids playing in the street. Like we used to just. There used to be kids on every street all the time. Yeah, it'd be basketball down there, hockey over there, and it was you know. Play- and you'd be able to tell when the kids were out because they'd just hear this like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, here they come. <laughs> <laughs> but now you can't. Um, you can't, uh, there's so much, so many restrictions on the kids for their own safety. Uh, and oh, yeah, their snowballs are illegal. Like that's a violent weapon. And like, like well, everyone hated the kid that put a, a put a rock in the snowball anyways. No one liked that kid. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time you have this overly structured. So kids aren't learning to build their own structures. Uh, and they're so structured and they can't, 
and it's in the name of safety. And I, my wife knows it for sure. I treat the word safety as a, this vulgar term because <laughs> it's like, Oh, it's, it's safety. It's safe. It's like, yeah, but is like, there's certain things that you can do that do keep you safe. Wear a mask. Oh, well, okay. But you can't bring out your own bag into this in the grocery store. It's like, how is a bag any different than my clothes? Should I not wear my clothes <laughs> to the grocery store? I'm wearing a mask, but I'm going to keep this on, but you can't let me have this other fabric thing. That's not anywhere near my, no, this thing is safe. That has, that's arbitrary. So you're creating these rules in a knee jerk reaction to safety. Uh, in my town here in Edmonton, there's this uh, vision zero project where they are trying for zero car deaths by such and such a time, which keeps getting moved back because it's ridiculous. And they, they lower all this stuff. They lower limits. They add more cameras. They uh, do this, but they're trying to get this zero deaths, like not one person lost. It's like, yeah, but the government's not driving cars. People are driving cars. And when people mm -hmm. drive, when people are doing things, people are going to make mistakes. Yeah, because so the solution should be self-driving cars and like develop that infrastructure, but instead they're doing the knee-jerk reaction to, oh, let's just make traffic more congested so there's less accidents. Like <laughs> Yeah. Or increase increase public transit so that, you know yeah. or bike paths so that cyclists don't get hit. Like Edmonton used to be the forerunner of bike paths, and then they just let them all go and fall into disrepair. Not all of them. Yeah, there's one there. Like there's one a couple of streets down, but they they don't really make much sense. And no, people aren't using them. They don't make sense. But that's because so, some people don't have bikes. So maybe you should give every kid a bike. I mean, we're a socialist country and we want people to not be spending money on our healthcare system. So why not encourage them all to take bikes? But like that would be to me the 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 logical data driven solution to a problem rather than changing speed limits to make roads more congested, which encourages and increases traffic accidents. Right. So it's thoughtless. We are adding structure out of a lack of trust for others where structure does not need to be made, where individuals can make their own structure. So um playground play why are we even bothering with that well kids could get hurt well that's why we have people watching like mm -hmm. yeah maybe don't make uh playgrounds out of jagged metal spikes yeah but like let them play kickball or let them play wall ball or let them play soccer Even wood structures are banned now because you might get a splinter like how many kids died of splinters i well, and you get a splinter and then what happens when you, what happens when you get a splinter as a child? You pull it out and you know, it's painful. And then you're cautious afterwards, but you still, and play you know how structure. to, well, the other thing is, you know how to deal with a splinter now, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, basic first aid because you had a splinter in your hand and you did it in and a safe environment where there's adults around and you know, other people to help you out if you need. Like, now, uh, I think a lot of this comes down to a trust this lack of trust causing um, uh, a lack of uh, this concept of anti-fragility. Uh, if you've uh, engaged with Nassim Taleb's uh, work, um, well, his earlier work, uh, it's the trilogy of anti-fragility. Yeah, it's a popular 
area of study these days? Yeah. So it is an interesting notion because we're not letting our, uh, we're not letting people in society become durable to things Mm -hmm. like not even just like you get a splinter and all of a sudden your hands, you know, your hand heals, but heals and it's got a little callus there. So the next time you get a splinter there, the splinter is going to have to try a little harder to get in. But in, I, within the classroom, um, you know, people have to be able, if they want a voice in the classroom, they have to speak. Well, if I speak, there is the biggest thing. Yeah. So if I speak, the problem is the fear is, is that I'm going to get, you know, uh, I'm going to get, you know, told I'm wrong or I'm going to look like an idiot. It's like unsafe to them. Yeah. So it's like, they're scared of it, but at the same time, who cares if someone tells you you're wrong? Uh, one of my favorite professors was one that was be like, Jordan, shut up <laughs> when I was being an idiot. Uh, he, I, I really enjoyed his classes because uh, we had different philosophical perspectives, but uh, we could just banter at each other and uh, you know insult each other offhandedly. Hey, sorry about that. We got disconnected there because of a power outage, such as that, uh, such as the way. So it goes. Um, yes, how it goes. You were saying dot dot right. dot. So ellipsis. I was talking about um, uh, how I have been treating for a while the word and the idea of safety as a. Um, a vulgar term that I find quite distasteful um, that is because when in my experience um, the thing is, is that you want to be yourself. You don't want to be completely safe. Uh, You need to be challenged uh, intellectually and uh, in that way as um, that is where you grow. Now, one of the things I was talking about is that if you are in class in a seminar and where you're expected to talk, not so much in a lecture, but in a seminar, you need to be confrontational to an extent. Um, there is too much confrontation where you just kind of attack and go, no. Um, but at the same time, you need to come up with an idea and defend that idea. So, um, Hold on a second. I, uh, hold on. I muted you and I can't unmute you. Could you unmute you? Safety is a vulgar word. Yeah. So sorry about that. So um, seminars are meant to be com- a bit. Combative. Yeah. So seminars are a, a form of ideas and it's not a place where you come to agree all together on one idea where you all come and decide here's what the truth is. That's not the point of it. The point is to have each individual come to a separate truth uh, that is a more nuanced one that they came up with and they're all going to be different. Everyone's going to have a bit different understanding, which is why you take 
that from the seminar and you write a paper about it, which is going to have a different perspective than everyone else. And that's the point. But, uh, okay. So the, like I was saying, the point of the seminar is to, um, have a place where people can form different ideas and bring those ideas forward in a, in a forum that they can clash and uh, become stronger and better ideas. And the other thing is that people know things that other people don't know. You have, uh, you have ideas that people have that you, other people have read things that you've never read. Other people have engaged with things that you've never engaged with which is why we go in and someone might have read the same thing in a different way. They might have focused on things that they thought were more important. And that's the whole diversity of perspective type of thing. Yeah. It's just, I think it's worth going in. But the thing is, is that if you go into a seminar and you don't say anything, does it matter that you were there? Were you actually there as an individual? If you're just sitting there, well, I'll just listen. I'll just go with what they say. You mean yeah. that esoterically, or do you mean that just pragmatically? Oh, and both. Like, why didn't you just stay <laughs> home and write your own paper? But, like, then you're not getting anything out of it. Like, if you want to have a voice, you have to use it. And this comes down to trusting yourself and not putting, keeping yourself safe from potential uncomfortable situations. Because if you are safe, then you are not uh, testing yourself. You're not putting yourself out there. Because in order to put yourself out there, you have to go into an awkward situation. You have to go into an uncomfortable situation. And then if you don't give your own two cents in a seminar, you might as well have not showed up because you didn't participate. Um, Now... There are quiet people. I'll grant that. I tend to be, uh, I like being introverted. It's comfortable, but I want to say my piece. And I've become very aggressive about it uh, as a result of those seminars. I have an idea. I need to put it out there. And I need to formulate. Conversely, there's also like the loud people, right? People like me who can't sit quiet. (laughs) Even if they have nothing to say, they have to be loud. Yeah. Now those people can be uh, engaged with as well. I want to say something cool. Say it. And they say something like, all right, here's my argument against that. Okay. Moving on. But you know, loud people just want to talk, but at the same time that forces the loud people to say better things, say something that's worth saying and the quiet people to be like, you know, well, what if I said this? Okay. That worked. If I said this, what if I said that? What if I said more? And you find it a groove, a way you can, as yourself with your individual nuances, participate. Uh, and they given... sort of complement each other too. Because right. somebody saying nonsense would encourage somebody to say something important if they're normally shy. Right. Like, oh, well, that, that guy's not an idiot for saying something. I should say this important thing. Right, but even in a quiet seminar, someone saying nonsense keeps the ball rolling. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I find that 
there it is a place and some not all seminars are going to end up with a reasonable conclusion sometimes everyone just go yeah none of us get it <laughs> we still don't get what this what we're talking about oh well maybe better luck next time well next next class we'll get something and then the next class is just you know great but you know not every day is going to be uh, a productive day and that's okay but in order to make it actually productive, you have to put yourself out there um, and not say, well, I can't do that because reasons. Well, there's all those reasons for everything. You can make a reason up for anything. At that point, it just becomes an excuse. You can literally make an excuse up for anything. It's not hard. People get really good at it. Um, oh, yeah. I'm well-practiced at that. <laughs> and <laughs> you have to own up to it. So put yourself out there and just – own it, own everything you do and just say, yeah, I did it. So what? <laughs> and not worry. Like you do have to worry about the consequences, which is why, you know, you tread softly, but you put yourself out there means you carry a big stick. So you ready for the negative things that happen, but you aren't going to get anywhere if you don't try. Uh, hard work is how you make your luck in life and things don't just give into you. So again, going back to Taleb, you can't rely on your life on black swans. You have to work. And that means that you have to put yourself in positions that you're not going to be comfortable with. I worked retail for a long time. I dread going back, but if stuff came to it, I'd probably Go apply if I had a retail job again for if I needed money. Now, so you'd say that's for sure teachable too, right? Like you can teach people how to how to do that or how to work at that. I think people can learn it on their own um, because um, you just say, "All right, go off, go and try to engage and get better at it," because. It's that, again, you, if, you, if you start now, the earlier you start doing it, the better you're going to be later because you'll have, we'll have used more time using it. So inaction is a waste of time. You're spending time more than anything else in your life. Everything boils down to expenditure of time and because you have a finite amount of it. How are you going to spend it? You know what? Play video games. Go for it but, and enjoy yourself. But do something in your life that's worth doing first. Exhaust yourself beforehand. And you'll find yourself with strange skills you've never thought you'd have in 10 years. Uh, that is tremendously profound life advice. Like Not even just for the youth out there, but for adults or even seniors seeking some sort of fulfillment or... Oh, yeah. Not feeling like a lack or a void. Oh, yeah. Well, seniors in classes were the most interesting people in the class. By yeah, far. they always sit with me up front. <laughs> yeah. Or like just far enough, you know, and it's funny. You sit with them and they'd be always like, they'd always have some story to tell you or they'd always just, they wouldn't be taking everything too seriously because they had been there. It wasn't like, I got to finish my degree in five years or, or I'm going to die. It's like... I had to pay for everything piecemeal. So I was only able to take a certain amount of the only able to take the amount of courses I could take. And 
I got through it. I'm here. I'm as old as I am now, and I'm not worried about it. You create your demons. So it's... Um, and you also slay them. Nobody else can slay your demons for you. Right. Now, um, this goes... Uh, this comes from a... Maybe I've just uh reading a lot of Hemingway lately, but you can't expect to get to the end without scars. So you're always going to have something, you know, terrible stuff happening. You're always going to have things that now it's better to get to the end with scars of your choosing uh, rather than ones that are inflicted upon you. Um, So when you fling yourself into the breach uh, and you get a, you know, get a scar from it, that scar is a story rather than a uh, rather than a traumatic event. So I guess trust yourself to handle yourself when you get put in harder situations and trust, I guess this leads into the last point is that trust in yourself in the future, because this one's a bit odder because you need to trust yourself you need to trust the fact that you will get to the end of the task you're doing. And I think this is a thing I didn't get into in the last one when we were talking about marks is that don't worry about the exam. The exam will be over. Mm-hmm. Like live Time for will pass no matter what. Yeah. So with anything happening, this too shall pass. You need to trust that as long as you do your work, you will be fine. And if, 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 if you do your work and it's not okay, then there's an evaluation there. And that you need to do. But if you do your work and you continually succeed, you know, for in an exemplary manner or in, a, in an average manner, it doesn't matter. If you continually succeed, well, keep going. <laughs> yeah. And there's, so, a, there's a few adages that really like punctuate that too. Like the uh, success breeds success and you create your own luck. Yeah. Those types of things. I mean, some people are just born lucky, but it's far more likely that you'll be lucky if you create opportunities for yourself, like not yeah. burning bridges, um, discovering a variety of uh, uh, areas of mastery, like not just doing the one thing and staking your entire identity on the one thing you do, like giving, mm-hmm. giving your life some breadth and scope really, um, I think is part of creating luck for yourself. Yeah. And you need, and that's where you need to trust yourself. So all this comes to is letting life happen around you with all of these topics, but taking control of it. So you need to trust yourself that you'll be able to handle things and really trust yourself that you'll be able to do it. And you will find things where you let yourself down, but you'll know where then you'll know where you need to improve. Um, one of the things that got me uh, going was I applied for uh, police service as a cop way back when. And one of the, I was, I wouldn't have been a good cop, but one of the things that they forced you to do was go through your life and see it was this like forced introspection that forced me to go it. They were asking questions. Who are you? What do you want? Why do you want to do this? What do you, what, what do you expect to get out of this? And I was like, I should have been asking myself these questions a long time ago. And by putting myself in that position, I found where I wanted to go um, after 
I decided that that wasn't the proper direction for me. Uh, and I pushed myself in a different direction. And so uh, I got an education. Um, so, and that was the thing that I found pleasure in the challenge. Um, coming back to Hemingway, you're only alive when you're, uh, when the old man in the sea is in the sea. He's not alive when he's on land. He's alive when he's in combat with, with the fish. And um, uh, shout out. Sorry, to I just mind. had a funny mental picture there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good book. I'm thinking combating the ele elements and it's the fish he's fighting. <laughs> I love that. I'm teaching this in, a, in, a, in, a, in one of uh, my classes. But the thing is that in that story, he's a fisherman mm -hmm. and he fishes. And he's good at it. He knows he's good at it, but he hasn't done it in a while. But then he goes out and he, he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch a fish. I'm going to catch the fish. And he goes out during the hardest time to catch a fish in the air. And he catches the fish. And he takes joy and feels alive when he's in wrangling that, that fish. And he's this old, old man. Now, the thing is, is that in that combat with the fish, he is doing what he knows to be good at. And it's not you know, living your life on a beach, relaxing, it's exerting himself. And this comes back to the definition of happiness that I tend to uh, come to often that the Greeks used to use was uh, the exercise of vital powers uh, along lines of excellence in a life affording scope. So doing what you do, so the exercise of vital powers, the things you can do, to the best of your ability in a place where you can improve. And this is where he finds happiness in the exercise of his vital powers. And he, but this goes for all of us. What do, what, when you exert yourself brings happiness. Now for me, it's going over material. It's examining and testing my understanding of things. It's, it's debate, but also I like doing other things. I like testing the limits of my own body. I like strapping way too much weight into my backpack and legs and then climbing a hill and, you know, pushing yeah, just myself. because Right. Cause it's, it's hard and it sucks, but I love it. And that's, and that's a thing. I don't get happiness out of just sitting around. Rest is something you do after you uh after you've exerted yourself not because and i guess that's that's just generally speaking of course right yes oh yeah it's going to be different for everybody everyone <laughs> will have their own and you have to introspect and meditate to find it to understand it and by going into and trusting others and not just disregarding them and talking with people that are in other groups people that do other jobs, talking to children, talking to people that are different from you and talking and pushing mm -hmm. yourself into situations where you are challenged by others and trusting them that they're challenging themselves and not just out to get you. Um, but you I think Hemingway wasn't entirely um, on, on point with that. And the only reason I think that is because of... Uh, I guess he's a product of his generation too, where they still had gender gender roles and everything, but we still have gender roles. Oh, I said now we're doing 
But no, um, that's my interpretation of Hemingway. Um, no, but I mean, what I'm saying is he's of the type of mind that likes to be focused on one thing. So of course he's going to say yes. the fisherman is happiest when he's fishing. But that's because wow. he's happiest when he's writing. Hemingway was just really single-minded in my Well, opinion. Hemingway also liked bullfighting and he did also like fishing. Um, but the, 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 the fisherman was a... Uh, the character itself of the fisherman was uh, he was a very simple man. He liked baseball. He liked fishing. <laughs> well, full disclosure, I never read Hemingway like fully. I only read parts of it. But what I'm saying yeah. is that's just one type of person. One type no, exactly. Of person who really like doing one thing. But at but the I same don't think time, that's the only way to be happy. But at the same time, like that's what made that character happy. Now, I like doing a lot of different things that make me happy. Um, before in the discussion, we talked about firearms. I That's the like, emphasis I'm adding. Is that I like doing things at the range. But the thing is that you, can only, you can't be doing five things at once. I could be doing different Some things. Some people can. I can do, I'm a pretty good multitasker, but I find that when I am able to focus on one thing and exert myself in that direction for a short period of time, then I get something done. But yeah. And I'm not saying do one thing and only one thing your entire life. I mean, like, yes, you're... De no, we're talking about the, the road to happiness, though. And I'm saying there's a type of person like me who needs to be programming and doing YouTube videos and doing 3D modeling and right. doing writing books and doing rapping. Like, I can't not do a bunch of things. And right. I don't master any of them perfectly but I am exhilarated in the variety. That's my thing. Right. My and peaceful zone is in doing as many things as possible. And I, I've, I've got a lot of things that I like to do. But like, no, I, I really like, do. that's what I mean. There's a spectrum though. Some people can, it's one thing and some people it's just everything and not right. any one thing. So you have to trust yourself and listen to yourself and trust that the answers that you get are not ones that you might like either. So I think to wrap it up, the point that I can say over all of this is don't micromanage your world. Um, and Unless that's your thing. <laughs> yeah, but if someone came in and micromanaged me, it's like, well, you know what you should be doing? I'd be like, yeah, I should be ignoring you. <laughs> so that's the thing. Um, you can, if, if you don't, if, if you, the viewer, uh, don't like me, Jordan, as a person, you don't have to, you know, fastidiously take down my arguments and find all the nitpicky. Although, if you're, and like, obsessed about what I think, and just turn me off. Unless you want to engage, and then in which case, you know, comments. But in, in which just case, turn me off. off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again. You were going to say it. I just had to say it because you were hesitant. <laughs> <laughs> that was happening. So don't stress yourself up over stuff you can't control, but don't ignore it. And don't micromanage your world. And don't micromanage others. Don't micromanage things that you, the other people who have expertise in fields that you do not. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't. It's like, oh, that plumber doesn't know what he's doing. Well, you know, you can learn some plumbing and then maybe have a better opinion of it. Uh, mm -hmm. But before you do, 
you know, just don't like you can, you don't have to stay in one lane, but trust that others are going to try and do their best and trust that others might have a bad day too. And don't pillory them for it. Uh, but if they ask for forgiveness, definitely don't pillory there. It pillory them. Um, so I think that's what I want to leave with is that um, take life as it is. Don't micromanage it and push yourself. Those are so, very sound words to live by. Thank you. Um, I, I'd they, like to encourage the listeners just on some final thoughts too, if you want. Uh, go ahead. Just, I, I'd like to encourage the listeners to relieve expectations. Absolutely set goals, like tons of them. Yeah. But make sure they're all SMART goals. And that's an acronym. I can't remember because the acronym's stupid. But it, it means have a goal that's achievable, that you, can, that you can reach, that you can measure, that you can – something tangible. Don't just say, like, oh, one day I'd like to write a book. Like, this week I'm going to figure out what I might start writing about. Next week I'm going to write uh, the introduction. The week after I'm going to think about the acknowledgments. Like, make goals that are so small and so easy that you can't not do them. Yeah. And don't cling your expectation to it. Don't be like, oh, well, I haven't read, finished the book and it's been six years. Like, you know, don't get down. It's just there so that you have a direction to, to step in. It's not there to, to hang your hat on as if not achieving it is collapse of all personal self-worth. Like, <laughs> goals are just a direction to shoot at. You, getting the bullseye isn't the point. It's firing. <laughs> That's the fun part. And I think in that limiting thing, a rule is just a suggestion. A law is not a suggestion, but a rule is just a suggestion. And there's no rules for for a lot of what's going to – don't rely on a rule in your life. Um, And there's no definition of achievement. (laughs) It's whatever you make it. Yeah. Yeah. So again, don't play life by ear, <laughs> I guess. So we could, we could yeah. go on making these little. Yeah. Yeah. But just enjoy it. Have fun. Laugh yeah. all the time. Always laugh. So, uh, I think that's, uh, probably good for today. Um, yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me on frivolous gravitas. Make sure you guys like, and subscribe. It helps the channel out. It doesn't cost you a thing. Yeah. We'll um, try and we have, appreciate uh, the discourse so you can comment as, and I'll be happy to argue with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or make an episode about it. We try and have an episode out or a series of episodes out every week. Um, and we'll have know. clips coming soon. Oh yeah. We've got little clips. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For all you busy people. I can't listen to the whole thing. Just give me the cliff notes. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Well, signing off. Thank you very yep. much. Thank you. Sorry again about the technical troubles there. Glad we figured it out. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.